Hello and welcome to Life Changes You. My name is Daniel and this week I have guest conversation person Isaac Lee who is a psychologist and also a professional gamer. So how are you Isaac? I'm going really well. How are you doing tonight? Yeah, good, good. It's lovely to have you here. Um, so I guess first of all, do you want to give me a bit of background about yourself? Yeah, so I'm a psychologist at the moment. I work in private practice. Uh, I work a lot with depression and anxiety, as just about every psychologist does. And then yeah. I've also got a, a lot of interest in gaming and how that interacts with people. And uh, pretty much anything that comes across my plate, I find really interesting in the world of psychology. Yeah. And on the gaming side, a uh, big Magic the Gathering fan. Uh, I play a lot of this card game called Magic the Gathering, which yeah. I'm not sure. I'm going to guess you haven't heard too much about. Is that no, right? I haven't. All right. So do you want to explain just a little bit about how that game works? Yeah, so it's a collectible card game. So what that means is you've got a bunch of different, like you can almost see it as like a board game where the individual cards that you collect uh, uh, then become your game pieces. You get to create your individualized deck of 60 different cards and you play that against somebody else. And uh, the idea is to get their life total down from 20 to zero in order to win the game. And uh, yeah, it's a very competitive game uh on on one side but then on the other side people just play casually and in groups of uh people or one-on-one so and is it a popular game all around the world yeah yeah it's uh it's certainly i'm not sure how many languages it's printed in but it's printed in a lot of different languages it's definitely the first and biggest collectible card game in the world yeah and uh you know, like it's uh, a lot of people play the game and then particularly with the, the virus going on at the moment, uh, a lot of people have transitioned from playing it face-to-face in person to yeah. playing the online version as well. Yeah. And did it originate like in Asia? No, it originated in the States okay. uh, by a guy by the name of Richard Garfield. So he created it and uh, it was, it's made by the same people that do Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. So, uh, there's certainly a, a fantasy element there, but then when you get to the uh, the the way that like the competitive people play, they'll see it as more of game pieces with the fantasy aspect being a flavor adjunct to it. Right. So, okay. Yeah. So it's nothing like Pokemon. It's actually the, there is a card game that is like that is there's a Pokemon version of of uh, uh, a card game that is a version of Pokemon, and it's actually there's a lot of similarities to that. So Pokemon. Okay. The card game uh, actually took a lot of what it does from Magic the Gathering. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, when did you start playing this game? When I was probably about 10 years old, I started playing it. Okay. I'm now, 30, now 34, I believe. You're now 34? Yeah. So when you were 10, so that's 24 years you've been playing? Yeah, that's right. So you must be quite a professional at it by now. Well, there's a lot of people in the world that are a lot better than me. Okay. But uh, that being said, yeah, I have travelled across the world, been invited to different uh, tournaments in Japan and Europe and America and uh, had some success on that stage as well. So I've been fortunate enough to do so. And also I dedicated a hell of a lot of time to the game. Okay. So it's a combination of some different aspects going on. And is there prize money for this game? Yeah, yeah. So the last one that I played, which was actually this year, uh, I think the prize pool was just over 200 grand. Wow. And I managed to take away seven grand from, from wow. that. Wow. 
So, well, that's that pretty a, good, isn't it? Yeah, it's all right. Better than yeah, kicking the teeth. Not bad at all. Yeah. We were going to talk a little bit about um, gaming addiction. So, yeah. how, how do you think gaming addiction? Well, look, obviously, it's spending a lot of time on your computer, but then there must be some people who play games and then stop, and others who just can't stop. Yeah, so yeah, addiction and gaming, it's, it's a really important question that I think a lot of parents are asking at the yep. moment because they're seeing their, their kids playing a hell of a lot of uh, Fortnite is probably the most, yeah. Uh, yeah, most prevalent of those games. So, yeah, what are concerned parents about? Like, when does it transition from, you know, doing something that is an enjoyable activity and when does that transition to uh, addiction and when do I have to be worried? Like... Yeah. Uh, you know, I can order parents, uh, you know, obviously wanting what's best for their kids. And uh, sometimes it can be hard to drag them away from that iPad or from that PC. And, and it's so, also the cost involved, isn't it? Because you can buy upgrades and things like that. Yeah. So there's certainly, uh, then we started getting some, within the game, there's some addiction elements. So particularly with these things called loot boxes or loot crates. Uh, which is basically a, a way to monetize a game. So they have a free game and then you can have in-game purchases. Yeah. And those in-game purchases you paid, let's say $2, yeah. and then you get uh, you get to open a box that has a random item in it. So it might be like, oh, you got the, the sweet sh- sword or the sweet shield that you really wanted. <laughs> or it could be a dud one. Yeah. And then... Uh, also, still, like if you pay the $2, you, you're not necessarily going to get the one you wanted. Yeah. So this ah. is... This is like, it's, a, it's almost like a slot machine within the game. Right. Uh, and it's actually been banned in some places of Europe. You're not allowed to have these loot crates or these wow. loot boxes where the specific aspect is a randomization of the outcome of that opening that box. So you can say, yeah, you can pay $2 and you get this sword. That's fine. But when you say you can have $2 and you've got a 5% chance of getting the good sword and then a 20% chance of getting an okay sword and the, the rest of the time you get nothing or, or a dud one. Yeah. And, and, and that, that is very akin to gambling, uh, uh, the, the slot machines. Definitely. We, so you're really teaching young children how to gamble. Within those loot crate systems, which there's a lot of controversy about, yeah. The, yeah. the, the in-game purchases model has, uh, th- there's, there's a couple of different ways that they monetize these games, well, the, the free-to-play ones. Uh, the loot crates is one way. The one that I really like is just that you, you can play the game. You don't have to pay anything, but if you want like the cool looking armor, then you, then you have to pay the, the money in order to just change the aesthetic. So it doesn't change whether you have the armor or not. Uh, it just changes what color the armor is. And so people can see what you're doing. So it's sort of like um, when we were at school, I mean, I went to a school where you could dress however you wanted and it's sort of like um, the kids who wore the Calvin Klein T-shirts and jeans and the people who just wore the normal jeans, but it's in a game. So kids want their character to look as best as they can. Yeah, there is a bit of that going on, which we have to be aware of as well, but we have to be aware of that you know, in, in real life as well because yeah. your kids are still going to ask you for those Calvin Klein's <laughs> yeah. and those Jordan shoes. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, like sometimes it's okay to get in that pair of Jordans, uh, you know, like when it's something they've saved up for and use their pocket money towards or, or yeah. that kind of thing. So, I mean, I can understand addiction because I know uh, when Candy Crush Saga first came out and there was a couple yeah. of other games on the iPhone and you'd get to the end of your free ones and you'd think, oh, God, I've only been playing for five minutes. I want to play a bit more. So then you'd buy more lives. 
yeah and then they'd run out and then you'd put another two dollars on it and it was like yeah. by the time you finished playing you played for, you put twenty dollars on it and you didn't even realize you'd done it yeah. yeah and you hadn't probably got further than probably two or three levels yep yep candy crush yeah yeah uh, they uh huge wasn't it yeah that was a big one yeah they uh uh, certainly uh, a game that a lot of future games like kind of modeled their monetization. Yeah. Uh, I remember when I first went on Facebook and I can't remember what year it was, but there was a game uh, where you had animals and you, you fought with other people, but you didn't actually see them fighting. It was just like you had a picture of a, an elephant and you would fight someone else and then it would tell you if you'd won or not. And mm-hmm. people were also, you know, spending lots of money on that. I didn't because I, I'm just not a very good fighter when it comes to those games. Yeah, yeah. But you'd come on in the morning and you'd go on to bed and you were like 500 and something and you'd come back in the morning and you're 10,000 and something. So then you've got to try and fight to get your way back up again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's, uh, I, was, I was reading a story about uh, there's a guy in the States that was averaging spending like a million dollars per hour. Oh, my God. Hour on one of these games. Yeah. And the interesting thing is like, when you ask him about it, he's like, no, that's fine. Like I have that disposable income and that's what I chose to use it on. Wow. You know, the dude is obviously incredibly rich, yeah. uh, but it just wasn't an issue to him. And he was happy to support the developers of his favorite game that he spends a bunch of his time with and it's within his budget. So, you know, like it's, it's interesting. Like just then, right? I said, he spent a million dollars and you're like, oh, yeah, this guy's got to be addicted, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then yet, if you ask him, he says, well, it's not negatively impacting my life. It actually forms part of my social group. It's something that I enjoy doing and it's uh, within my budget. So do we define this as addiction, which is where we get into some uh, murky water here when we're trying to define exactly what's going on with that gaming addiction and, uh, and what we do about it. Yeah, and I guess like for people like me, like average people, you know, our wage is nowhere near that. So yeah. to hear that someone's losing a million dollars, it's really a big business, mm-hmm. you know. But as you say, to him, he might earn 10 million a week. So a million dollars is nothing to him. Yeah. yeah. But he could help charity, couldn't he? Yeah, he could be doing a lot of, well, like, it still frustrates the hell out of me, don't get me wrong. But uh, yeah. it's, it's an interesting question that we have to ask about what uh, what we mean by addiction and how we work out whether our kids are addicted to it or how we can help them in that scenario. Yeah. So, yeah. And look, I mean, my, when poker machines first came or poking machines first came to Victoria, I remember I used to go there with my mum and dad once a week and we'd play $20. And then one week I went in with a couple of friends and we'd had dinner and we'd had a few to drink at Crown Casino and I came out and I'd spent half my wages and I went, what is yeah. that? And actually it was a good lesson to me because since then I've, I've rarely played them because I just thought, what a waste of money. But then mm. there must be other people who just go through all their money. Yeah. Yeah. So how do we, how do we notice these people? How do we help them uh, so that they don't fall into those cracks? And yeah. And that's like, it's pretty interesting looking at uh, gambling and gaming because both of these things are not a substance. Yeah. They are a behavior. Yeah. So it's a behavioral addiction. Yeah. And uh, so like when we look at the, the way that we are investigating addiction into these two different things, there's a lot of similarities. Uh, there's a, a classification system called the, the ICD, the International Classification of Diseases. Yeah. And when we look at how we're defining gaming addiction uh, versus how we're defining gambling addiction, 
you could pretty much just copy and paste it, but they've taken out the word gambling and put the words gambling. Yeah, because, I mean, just hearing you talk about it is like with gaming, you know, I I mean, I've got a PS4. I play that every now and again. I don't Mm -hmm. buy any upgrades to it because usually I don't even play online because I know if I play online, I'm going to get killed within the first two minutes. Yeah. Um, But hearing about how gaming is now bringing in these pay-for things, it is pretty much the same as gambling, isn't it? Yeah, well, there are certainly some aspects to that. Uh, but you could also say that, you know, like when your kid wants to, to play basketball, right? You Suddenly now you have to buy a basketball uniform. Now they want to buy a basketball. Now they want shoes. Like, so you, now you've got to invest all of this money because your kid yeah. wants to do something that uh, we, would, we wouldn't even think twice about that. We'd say, yeah, I can, I can certainly fork out this money so that my kid can play basketball. And then, you know, your kid goes out and it's like, oh, I want to train basketball all the time. I want to spend all my time doing this. I want to spend time with friends, exercising. So these yeah. are all these good and healthy, positive things. And now we're, if we look at it with something like Fortnite, for instance, where it's like, okay, well, my kid gets home and he wants to jump straight onto his PC and he wants to do Fortnite, but all of his friends are doing Fortnite. So he's catching yeah. up with them. Then he's going to school and they're talking about different things. They're learning about teamwork by coordinating their, their strikes against other players. They're you know, becoming closer in their friendship groups. And so there's a lot of social inclusion going on. There's a lot of healthy things going on within this context. And yes, they are maybe paying some kind of money, but might even be insignificant compared to the cost of a basketball and a, a uniform and everything that goes on with that. However, I think it, with the basketball, you're getting outside in the sunshine, you're exercising, you're moving your body, you're still learning about teamwork, mm-hmm. um, and you're not necessarily sitting in your room for 10 hours playing a game. Look, I mean, I like gaming. I don't have a problem with it. I, and I yeah. can see the difference between gaming and gambling is usually with gambling, you're putting your money in, and unless you get a win, that's it, it's gone. But with gaming, if you're buying yourself armor or swords or whatever you're buying, you're, you've still got something that is there. Is You know, you can still use it and you can add to it. So your money isn't the same as gambling, is it? No, I you're actually getting yeah. something that you can keep. Yeah, but then you could also argue that, you know, like if I'm like, okay, well, you know, like uh, once a month or once every couple of months, I go down to the pub, I have a few drinks and, uh, you know, I put 50 bucks into the slot machine, I have a great night and then I go home and, uh, you know, like, is that a problem? And uh, I would say, no, it's it's not a problem. (laughs) If you want to spend 50 bucks for a couple of hours of entertainment, putting it into the slot machines and hanging out with some mates, maybe, or even just doing it by yourself. The question becomes, is it having a negative impact on your life? Is it uh, impacting your social engagement? Is it impacting your work? Is it impacting your schooling? Uh, What's going on as far as the the impact on your life? It's just a big question that we have to ask. And so do you see many people that it is a big impact on their lives for gaming? Uh, I would say that disproportionately I see parents who are worried about it more than kids who are actually having that negatively impacting their life. Uh, And is that because they don't understand consequence? Well, I think parents tend to get worried about their kids and particularly when they're when they're seeing their kid engage in an activity that they don't fully understand, like how can you sit in that chair for five hours from when you get home to, to then like without like moving, without doing anything, like get outside, you know, know, like play some cricket like I did when I was a, when I was a kid. Uh, Yeah. uh, And so we are worried about these things uh, understandably and, and sometimes, you know, appropriately so. 
but uh, it's disproportionate. The worry is what I say is the, the, the worry is greater than what's actually happening because it's just, you know, like we used to, like I used to play Lego, right? Yeah. As a kid, uh, you know, I can get physical blocks and you know, put them together. These days, the equivalent is Minecraft where it, all the Lego blocks are digital and people are creating things. And it's a very creative thing where people create these masterpieces online, but it's just like, it's just different. It's different. It's a different, uh, do you generation. think, uh, the, the difference in Lego and, uh, Minecraft, um, are you still using your brain as much as if you're physically putting something together rather than doing it with a couple of joysticks? In some ways you are using your brain more okay. and in some ways less. Right. So uh, you can be, you can, uh, you might be limited by the number of Lego blocks that you have right in front yeah. of you. So suddenly you've got all of these Lego blocks and you can create these giant masterpieces, which you wouldn't be able to do yeah. uh, with your Lego set at home. But that uh, restriction also breeds creativity. You're also using your physical hands in order to manipulate different materials and actually cooking them together. So in that way, you're using a different part of your brain, but it's, yeah. uh, I wouldn't say that one is better than the other. Uh, I, I gave my nephew some money recently. I think it was a hundred bucks. And I said, look, buy yourself a game for your, I think he's got a Nintendo Switch. Yep. And he said, oh, thanks, Uncle Dan. That's, that's great. Yeah, I'm going to buy myself something. And the next time I saw him, I said, so what game did you buy? And he goes, oh, The Sims. And I go, oh, isn't that like boring, like making little houses and stuff? And he goes, yeah, but then I, I, with the money you gave me, I bought The Sims and then I bought a couple of add-on packs and it's just brilliant. And the, the, the wife in the house is going to be a politician soon and then I'm going to make loads of money. And I'm like, oh, right, <laughs> sounds really exciting. But I couldn't understand why it was so exciting because to me it sounds like a really boring game. You know, I like things yeah. where I'm running around shooting things. Mm. There's actually, it's, there's an interesting uh, little tool that you can have that uh, investigates your different uh, reasons for gaming. Right. Uh, they've done a bunch of research and, and created these different factors that uh, people uh, enjoy about gaming. One of those ones is creativity. So yep. uh, just being able to create things and that's certainly your Minecraft players. Uh, some people it's immersion. So it's about understanding the, the law that's behind it, uh, reading the books that are within the game about how like, you know, the history of this place that you are in. Uh, yeah. For some people, it's the social interaction with gaming. Uh, for some people, it's mastery and achievement. Uh, I, I can tell you for me, it's competition. Yeah. Uh, I, I like, doesn't matter how pretty the art is. I'm not going to look at it. Like, uh, what I want to know is, can I compete with other people? Can I, like, uh, improve myself? Can I learn to become better? Can I uh, make this progress and then uh, be better than other people are doing it? It's a, a big part of my motivation or my enjoyment uh, in, in gaming. Well, a friend of mine was saying that his eight-year-old loves to sit in front of YouTube and watch other people Ooh, play yeah. the game. And I, and I said, oh, how boring is that? And he goes, nah, th th there's so many people, like millions of people are watching these yeah. people play the game. And yeah. I said, then does it help him play the game? And he goes, oh, he's not really interested in playing the game. He just likes watching the other people play it. Yep. yep. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. The, uh, you know, the direct comparison is like uh, these people that watch AFL. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like you're watching somebody else play. Why are you watching the AFL when you can just go out there and kick the ball yourself? What's going on here? What's going on? This doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> Click on the TV. <laughs> uh, yeah, but like it is a, a growing market in Twitch is the, the probably What's the number Twitch? one. 
Twitch is the online gaming uh, and streaming platform that's probably the biggest. There's a couple oh, okay. of different ones that do it. So YouTube do their own one as well, and Facebook does it as well. So you can uh, you can uh, stream your video game playing directly to Facebook, and people can watch you. But uh, Twitch is. I the don't think they thing. really find mine very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always on the easiest that I can be on, and I'm scared stiff I'm going to get killed. Yeah, well, you might be surprised that there's actually a bunch of people that love watching stuff like that. Like, <laughs> yeah, to make fun of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much so. <laughs> One of the best ones that I saw was like this dude was playing a horror game, right? Yeah. So, playing a horror game and he's got his headphones in and uh, and he's like, you know, like really like the, the, the ambience of the, the game and like they've got like the music going and he's trying to sneakily go through this uh, this place and then his cat jumps on him. Yeah. And he just jumps up in the air and screams and like basically has this mini heart attack live on stream and it became one of the most watched clips of, of all time. <laughs> well, look, I bought myself uh, one of the virtual reality headsets uh, for the PS4 and it's amazing but I was mm-hmm. playing this game and it's probably to most people a really easy game to play but to me I, it takes a lot of concentration and how I've got to shoot and stuff and yet the dog came and put its head on my lap and I thought what the hell is that you know <laughs> I, I was so into the game and then something touched me and I was like what's going on yeah 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 there's, there's a game called Alien Isolation oh which, I love that oh, oh I can't handle it I can't handle it like uh, so, so for those that haven't heard of it, uh, the mode that I was playing, uh, I played it, the first time I played it was in VR and, uh, I was in said, VR. Yeah. So I, I played it at PAX, which was a, a gaming convention. And so okay. they had a, a, um, a version of it on, on VR, uh, virtual reality. So you put the goggles on and they said, basically you can't really win this level or you, all you can do is try to survive the longest. Yeah. So there's no winning in it. It's just not dying from this yeah. alien. And you've got to like hide in this closet and try and creep around. And you just see these people like, you know, there's like four people with goggles on and they're just not moving, not moving. And they've got their like controller. And then at some point they, they just jump up in the air, which is basically when the alien kills them. <laughs> uh, it is so scary. Couldn't handle it. Couldn't well, handle look, it. I've been, uh, well, I had played on PS3. I think it's called Alien... Um, Marine Commandos or something like that. Okay. And the, the first couple of levels, really liked it. And then one of the levels, you've been taken away by an alien and you're under where you're in the water and you have to walk through this water. And the first couple of times I tried it, I was so on edge that something was going to kill me that I couldn't actually finish it. I had to keep turning it off and going to a different game because it freaked me out too much. And it's the same yeah. with Resident Evil. I've got one in VR and because of the sound and nothing really happens in it, but just moving around in it puts me on edge. And so I've decided mm-hmm. not to play it because it scares me too much. Yeah. yeah. You know, like I'm an older person. I'm not a 20-year-old and it just freaks me out. So, But I do like playing it, but I have to be in the right mood to be able to do it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, different people like games for different reasons. Uh, there's actually a little questionnaire that I can send you that'll give you your own gamer profile. And right. people that are listening, I can, uh, I can give you the, uh, the link if you like, and people can check it out themselves to find out which right. different kinds of games uh, match to their gamer profile, which is really interesting to explore uh, your own motivations within games and then find out also some different suggestions for games. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, uh, oh, no, I've just asked you that. Uh, yeah, the fear of what might happen in games is 
is what really freaks me out. Yeah. What might happen? And nine times out of 10, it doesn't actually happen. But mm-hmm. then you think because you constructed in your head of what you think is going to happen because uh, you've seen alien films and stuff, yep. then you play it and it's actually bits of it are tame. Other bits of it are not tame at all. Like I remember growing up with an Atari, you know, where things just flop <laughs> down the screen and stuff. And yep. now when you see these things, especially Alien Isolation and the other, and the uh, Resident Evil, they look so real. Everybody looks so real. Yeah, the graphics have increased. Although, you know, like back in the day, we would say that, like, you know, you're playing Frogger, you're jumping across that, ro- that, that road, you get hit by a truck. That's pretty violent, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you die from this truck getting, you know, running you over. Yeah. Well, I actually just saw a documentary on Sega and when Sega came out and how they took over from um, Nintendo and how they were able to get break into um, selling their uh, consoles in America. Yep. And they, they released Mortal Kombat. Yep. And Sega released theirs with Red Blood and Nintendo released theirs with Green Goo because they didn't want children to be upset by it and they thought parents wouldn't buy it. But in the end, Sega, with the Red Blood, actually outsold by, I think it was three to one or four to one, the Nintendo one, because kids were like, well, what's this green goo, you know? So even though it was violent, kids actually wanted to see the Red Blood. And even parents, like, there were the fanatics who were wanting it banned. Um, But then uh, fathers more than mothers were playing it too because they thought it was really exciting to be able to kill people. Yep. So do you think that then does cross over into violence in children. Uh, I was wondering if we were going to get into violence because <laughs> the, the two, yeah, the two big questions that come up are, is my, is my kid addicted to video games and are these violent video games making my kid violent? Yeah. Uh, and uh, there's some research that looks at some, like, uh, some correlations so with like more violent media, whether that's uh, uh, video games or TV yeah. and uh, like an increased violence. But then when we account for other factors, we don't, we don't observe this. So uh, if you've got a 10 year old who is watching 18 plus movies and is playing 18 plus games and there's a bunch of violent games and a bunch of violent media in there. And then that, that 10 year old becomes violent or aggressive. And then you can say, Oh, see there, you know, like he was playing violent video games and now he's violent. Yeah. And then the question is, what are you doing? Letting your 10 year old play a violent video game. And the answer is that that the parents probably weren't as engaged with that, that 10 year old. And so once we account for that and you, you know, the comparison of the, the 10 year old that's playing that violent video game, but he's playing it with his dad, who's also playing it and they're having a laugh about uh, the, the violence and how it's ridiculous. And they're you know, having conversations about how you wouldn't do that in real life. And, and so, yeah, and then you know, we don't see that violence coming up with that. So there's, yeah. uh, there is uh, some, you know, you, you can find studies that you know, loosely connect these things, but once we uh, look at these other social factors, they're what we really see as uh, they they are what we should really be focusing on. You know, yeah. if, uh, when it comes to parenting, when it comes to engagement with your kids, social inclusion, whether they're you know catching up with other friends, these are all far more relevant factors than whether they're being exposed to uh, violent media. And could it also be that um, you know they've already they're predisposed to a mental illness anyway when the people are violent? 
Yeah, so there, there is certainly a, a genetic component to violence and that kind of thing. And then, you know, you combine a genetic disposition with an environmental factor, uh, then you might see uh, that come out. So yeah. it's kind of like it was there, like dormant, and then some environmental factors uh, mean that it come out. But the environmental factors are far more likely to be like uh, a death of a parent or a breakup of a, a marriage yeah. um, if it goes domestic really messy. violence yeah or domestic violence or like even like a really bad breakup that they have with a, a partner at, at you know, whilst they're at school or being excluded from their their group these or are yeah, yeah exactly so there are far more of these other factors that we really need to these are the things that we should be focusing on, but yeah. sometimes uh, violent media, violent video games becomes a bit of a scapegoat because it's like, oh, I just need to shut off that machine and then, and then that's it. I'm done. Uh, yeah. All finished. And I guess it's also, it depends on what media you're actually watching as to whether they feel that it's a hot topic to cover. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And blow up and, you know, get people behind it because we, we tend to have a lot of media in every country that is pushed one way. And if you're watching that media, then you're more likely to follow what they're telling you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, obviously, there's this media bias and uh, fear sells a bit, right? So if you can, if you can make some parents worried about uh, the impact of this insert negative thing here that yep. um yeah doesn't require much effort from you <laughs> like uh, so it's violent you know it's computer games or it's because yeah. there's graffiti or it's because of the uh you know like what's happening at your school or this different food substance additive that's being in, you know put into to food do you know if there's been any games that have been banned because either they're too violent or they're too addictive uh so there, there certainly has been games over the years uh, there, oh, there's, I remember there was one, which I think was, um, and I can't remember what it's called, but it actually had a man who had escaped from a mental asylum and he would kill people with a hammer. Yeah. Postal or something. Oh, I really uh, can't remember what it, I did have it for a while and I did because I, I'd heard all the rumors about it, how great it was. And I got it. And then after I'd played it a couple of times, I went and not played it all the way through, played probably the first couple of levels. I went, actually, I'm not into this game. <laughs> but uh, you bought it didn't you um, yeah. but uh, yeah I mean look I've I found as I've got older when I was younger in my 20s I used to love all the art house films games stuff like that which mm -hmm. were more violent more out there uh, more things mm -hmm. that you know you generally don't think about but as I've got older um, you know I, I used to love horror films nowadays I start watching a horror film and I just go oh god I don't know if I can stomach this <laughs> no, and I don't know if it's just an aging thing. Maybe your way of thinking changes. Um, and I usually think to myself in my head, "Oh, would I really want my nephew watching this?" And when I think no, I think, "Well, should I really be watching it?" No, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I guess it's the same with games too. Yeah, yeah, and certainly there are like different classifications in different like areas. Like there might be a, a game that gets released in Australia that's like recommended R eighteen plus. And then, uh, you know, in, in another country, it might be 15 plus and these kind of things. So different rating systems come into play. I'm not entirely sure exactly how they do those things. But, yeah, occasionally, you know, games do get banned or they have to have a different release for yeah. different uh, regions because, you know, maybe some artwork doesn't uh, 
line up with that culture or something like that, or there's some aspect to it. So they'll take parts of the game out, uh, yeah. which, yeah. And how it's, do you see the future of gaming and where we're going? Because apparently now it's overtaken the movie industry as the biggest media out there is gaming nowadays. And we're just about to have the PS5 and the Xbox. I don't know what it's called. Is it Xbox X? Xbox. Not sure what the, uh, the new consoles are. I'm not much of a console guy myself. Right. So, uh, it, look, I think it's going to become more and more part of our culture, of our uh, downtime, of our, something that we yeah. do to relax or something that we do to engage with friends. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about you, but certainly in this, this pandemic that's going on at the moment, uh, I've discovered a new game myself that I've actually, like, it's just, I love it. Uh, so have you heard of the game Among Us? It is a game that you play with 10 people. So you actually have to organise to get online with your mates. Yeah. I don't and think I've got 10 friends. <laughs> I've uh, happened to have uh, made some more friends <laughs> specifically for this game. Oh, okay. Which, uh, yeah, like uh, shows you how much I like this game. Uh, so you jump online and it's, it's a really simple little game where the 10 of you are like on a spaceship. Yeah. And uh, eight of you are trying to just fix the ship. So you got to yeah. like do these little tasks like, oh, fix the wiring over here or put the navigation system on or restart the motor for the engine. Uh, these like little different tasks. And you got to like, once you complete all the tasks, then you win the game. So that's what yeah. eight people are trying to do. They're just kind of trying to fix the, fix the, the, the ship. Yeah. And then you've got two people that are called the imposters. So right. they look exactly the same as everybody else, except that, you know, like we, we all have different colors and they're going around basically trying to murder people okay. to uh, stop them from fixing the ship. So if you're playing as 10, do yeah. one of you know that you're the imposter? So the two people that, that are imposters, they, they know that each of them are the imposters, whereas okay. nobody else knows. And okay. whenever somebody finds a dead body, then we have a meeting Right, and we say, okay, well, where were you today? Like, which part of the ship were you fixing and what were you doing today? And you try to ask questions to try to deduce who's lying about where yeah. they were and what they did. So do you gradually, with the eight of you, you gradually all get killed off? Well, uh, yes, you do uh, gradually get killed off. But every time you find a dead body uh, and have a meeting, then you have the opportunity to vote somebody out of the ship. Okay. So the majority of the game is actually this meeting time where yeah. you're trying to find out uh, who is the imposter and the imposter's trying to say, oh, no, no, it's not me. I'm not suspicious at all. It's actually Bob. Bob, Bob, where were you today, Bob? Like, what did you do? I don't think that that's true. And then you try to convince everyone to, to, to vent or to uh, put Bob into the airlock and put him outside the ship and so that you can continue going on killing people as the imposter. Now, you being a psychologist, having a lot of face-to-face -face meetings all day, I would have thought that would have been the last thing you'd want to do when you got home is have more meetings. <laughs> have more meetings, engage with people. Uh, yeah, like, uh, I mean, there's, <laughs> uh, in, in my work, I don't go around stabbing people online. No, so, no. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like when I get home, it's like, it's the social enjoyment that I really like. Yeah. So two of the big factors that I love about gaming is social engagement and competition. Yeah. So it's a, a series of like, it's a game where you have like eight versus two. You've got yeah. two bad guys. And so if I'm a good guy, I'm competitively trying to, to, to work out who the guy is. Are you a good guy or are you an imposter? Well, it's random every game. So oh, every, every game, time you play, it's random. 
Yeah. Okay. So you don't know. You never know who you're going to be. And yeah. uh, I think most people, they they get the most enjoyment out of playing the imposter uh, and trying to lie to people, which yeah. um, it's, uh, it's certainly like I can like feel the physiological impact. Like my, my heart, heart rate goes up. I start sweating uh, because I'm going around <laughs> trying to lie about where I am and, and, uh-huh. and murder other players. And then like people start asking me questions about where I am and I'm lying, which I generally don't do in my life. So like, I'm like stressed out about it. And then yeah. uh, yeah, so it's, it's a lot of, a lot of fun and something different, something new. So. Look, uh, uh, one of my friends likes playing, oh, I, I can't remember if it's Friday the 13th or is that the one with Jason Van Herven or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jason. Is that those movies at Camp Crystal? Uh, I haven't watched Crystal. any of them because I'm not a horror, horror fan oh, okay. at all. But... And, and they really, what they really love about it is they get to play Jason. You can play Jason or you can play one of the people in the camp. And I they always play Jason because all they want to do is run around killing people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's an, I think it's a, it's a game similar to that because that, that game that I think that you're talking about, uh, again, you don't actually know who's playing Jason. Uh, no. Or, well, when they play a, a campmate, yeah, yeah, they'll be playing with friends of theirs and other people, and they don't know who's who. Yeah, yeah. They're just running around, you know. Yeah. And Jason gets his powers where he can fly up behind you really quickly. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's a, that's another interesting one as well. Where yeah, it's it's. I think it'd be really cool to have like a study looking at their personality profile of people that uh, enjoy playing Jason. Versus yeah. people that enjoy playing the, uh, the the camp visitor or the you know the the innocent teen yeah. uh, you know in that game trying to like do whatever it is that you need to do yeah I mean I couldn't play it because I was someone at the at the camp and when you got your headphones on all you can hear is floorboards creaking behind you or trees rustling and it just freaked me <laughs> out. You know, I'm sitting there in the dark thinking, oh, this will be really cool. And it wasn't cool. <laughs> no, it's like when they get that, like, you know, because like, it's, it's way more intense than just watching a, a, a movie. Because yeah. when you're a movie, you just watch it and you're like, you can kind of be like a silent observer. Yeah. When you're playing the game, now you've got all of the ambience of the, the movie. Yeah. But it's you that presses the button and then you move forward. So yeah. you've got control over this and you become a little bit more immersed. And it was only recently that I started playing with headphones on because I used to just have the sound from the TV. And once I put the headphones in, it was a completely different sound, you know? It was just all those little tiny things that you miss coming through the TV that you hear, like people breathing, you know? And that's yeah. what freaked me out as well. You could hear people breathing. You turn around and it was one of your campmates, but you didn't know that. You thought it was Jason. Yeah, yeah. It's like what they've done, like the difference between like, wearing headphones versus just like a, like a one speaker sound coming out of it. Yeah. Uh, I, I noticed, like I remember playing this game that was a, it was a vampire game where you play as a vampire and uh, it wasn't like that scary, but like when, when I put the headphones on, I realized that like when you start sucking somebody's blood as the vampire in the game with the headphones on, I could, I could feel the heartbeat of uh, yeah. the person. As yeah. It goes, yeah. Dum, 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 dum. And I just, I couldn't handle it. I had to like not going back to speakers. Like uh, I can't deal with this. No, I, uh, I, I think I know. Well, I played a vampire one where he was like a, an old vampire and you had to get through all these different levels. And it was just incredible to play. But yeah, when you heard him sucking the blood, it was like, wow, that is intense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. 
There must yeah. be something wrong with us that we like that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, it's engaging and, uh, you know, like having that immersion within that, like, you know, you get taken away. Like you're not thinking about, you know, the spreadsheet that you have to do for work tomorrow. Yeah. You're not thinking about how you made that mistake on that presentation last week. Yeah. You're like really kind of sucked into that, that game. You, you actually, yeah. Yeah, you, you, you're here right, right here, right now, which is, like when we when we talk about mindfulness and uh, anxiety and uh, how that helps people with anxiety, it, it makes sense that particularly anxious people uh, find themselves gravita- gravitated towards things that can consume their attention in order to. And I guess uh, it's also for about. people with anxiety, it's a way of having control, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. you're controlling what's unless you get killed, you know, in the game, you've got control of where you're going and what you're doing and who you're talking to and. Yeah. yeah, I have noticed that there there is uh, like speaking to people that like uh, horror games. That uh, certainly, just from a not from a research perspective, just from a personal experience, uh, I've I've seen that uh, anxiety and liking horror games uh, there is a connection there with a bunch of people. And yeah. I think it's because they they're used to being scared or anxious or worried, but they are choosing to do it in this yeah, scenario. Yeah. scenario. So they have yeah, control so, over it. Yeah, your choice and control. Yeah, I wanted to go back to uh, addiction for yep. for a little bit, if you don't. Uh, yeah, yeah, go go. Yeah, because yeah. uh, this is something that I, I find really interesting. Uh, have you heard of the um, the Rat Park experiment? before like does that ring a bell at all i'm going to run you through it anyway just yeah, uh, yeah, but yeah, just it, yeah. okay so um back in the day what they did is they put the put a rat in a cage yeah. and they had two bottles right yeah. one of the bottle was water sustained them one had cocaine yeah one had yeah. cocaine or heroin or yeah, yeah the yeah. drug water yeah uh, and what they found was that uh this rat would just drink the drug water would get you know dehydrated and then die as a result yeah. so they're like okay well Clearly, cocaine or heroin, super addictive, and we've got to get out of here, right? Yeah. Um, and then what they did was they said, hang on a second, you put a rat in a cage by itself with nothing else to do but a bunch of drugs, yeah. and it does a bunch of drugs. Yeah. What happens if we put this rat in, in like a really nice environment? So uh, there's this, uh, uh, oh, I've, got, I've got the name here, Bruce Alexander. Uh, Professor Bruce Alexander, he, he created a, a rat park. So it was like all these different things to do. There's a whole community of rats so they could engage in sex if they wanted to, these different games, different stuff going on and had the water and the drug water. So yeah. the water and the cocaine water there. And what they found was that uh, no, they, uh, they occasionally did, did a bit of cocaine, but not to excess and none of them died. So right. there's this extra factor in there that's like, okay, well, it's not just the substance that it's addictive. It's the environmental factors around that. Even yeah. when they took the rats that were in like isolation and had become certainly physiologically addicted to the cocaine water, they then put them in rat park. And slowly it's like they weaned themselves off that cocaine. And then, uh, then they just became part of that society again. Yeah. Is exactly what we see with, uh, with uh, morphine, which is basically just heroin. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like, I don't know if you've ever had an operation in hospital, but uh, I've certainly uh, I had a knee reconstruction. Yeah. And so there was a while where, yeah, they gave me some real strong painkillers. I was on morph- morphine for a while. Yeah. Uh, and then I was on like tramadol or some other really strong, powerful yeah. painkiller. And then when, when the script ran out, I had 
no desire to keep taking morphine or, or uh, Tremadol or these different painkillers. Uh, and it's this social engagement that's going on here, like yeah. going back to my family, engaging with, with people. Yeah. It's uh, something that we have to be mindful of when we talk about any kind of addiction is the environmental factors that are surrounding that. And Do you think, though, with some people um, that when they've had, say, like a knee reconstruction or a bad back or something like that, they get used to the feeling that is sort of mellow and sort of calming and okay. And then as they get to the end of their dose of medication, they feel like, oh, well, actually, I don't know if my back's quite right. I mean, I've got fibromyalgia. And when I first had it 12 years ago, I was in constant pain. And they put me on some medication, which was hydroxychloroquine, the one that they said would work for COVID. And it did numb down the pain just a little bit. But then in the summer, I couldn't go out in the sunshine. And living in Australia, you have to be able to go in the sunshine because I'd be out there a minute and I'd start burning. So I went off that. And then I I realised myself that, look, I can handle the pain. I'd rather manage my own pain and not take any of those painkillers. I had a bad back and it is the worst back I've ever had. I was on Panadine 4, then they gave me Tramadol and the Tramadol knocked me out for 24 hours and the next day I went, right, I'm not taking that anymore. Then mm-hmm. they put me on Lyrica because they said, oh, that's um, a nerve um, blocker, so that will work. Well, I took that for four days. I thought, look, I'll give it the two weeks. After four days, my brain was so foggy and I felt so out of it that I just went, look, I'm just going to stop taking it because I can't, I can't be like that. Yeah. But then there must be other people in society who like that feeling. And so mm-hmm. that's where the addiction comes. It's like, oh, I feel really good. I feel relaxed. I can cope. And it might be people who are more anxious or maybe, um, yep. you know, not feeling great about life. And they take this and it helps them to ease into life. Yep. And then you get the spiral of how do they stop it? It's like with once, Oxycontin. Once- yeah, once once that drug uh, becomes comfort, yeah, uh, and people that r- crave comfort uh, are, are far more susceptible to that. And some of yeah. that is genetic, but a lot of it is environmental. So if you have a bunch of shit things going on in your life, right, yeah. where you're worried about your finances, you you know, like you don't get along with your parents, you've been bullied by people or you've just lost your job, and so everything's kind of shit, and then you take a, uh, like a pill or you know, some kind of drug, and then, ah, oh, now I'm not worried about this. Yeah. That's, that's you, you know, you're, you're in this position where that comfort becomes a trap. Yeah. And, and the same can be true with, oh, you know, I'm so worried about, about everything going on in my life, but when I'm in front of that slot machine, that, that worry goes away. Yeah. Uh, or I'm, you know, I'm, I'm so depressed with everything that's happening in my life and how my parents have treated me and uh, how I don't get along with my brother and uh, all that goes away when I'm in front of that computer screen playing that game. Yeah. And when we then have a reliance on that behaviour or that drug in order to get that comfort, that's when we're in some dangerous territory. Yeah. And that's when, you know, like certainly down the track, like it leads to where we transition away from a coping strategy, yeah. uh, which is, you know, coping strategies are great, right? Like, uh, and then we can transition to an addiction. Yeah. Uh, 
if you have you know, somebody come in for, for me as a psychologist and their, their mum's just passed away yep. and they've told me, yeah, I just can't deal with it. So I'm just smoking cones every day. And it's been three days since their mum's just passed away. I'm not going to tell them that they're addicted to marijuana. No. Right? Now, if it's a couple of months have gone past and they haven't dealt with it at all, and they're still smoking marijuana every day in order to get through their day. Yeah. Uh, that's when we go, okay, well, what's going on with the relationships? What's happening with your work? Is this negatively impacting your life? And that's when we start uh, going towards the, is this addiction? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Has your behavior changed in a way that's detrimental to your life? And yeah. So coping strategy on one side uh, and that coping strategy can then become a bit of an issue uh, when it negatively impacts your life and goes on for a longer period of time. Yeah. Yeah. Interestingly, with gaming addiction, where the, the current, like the ICD, uh, says that we really want to see that be present or those behaviors present for a 12 month period before we consider it a an oh, addiction. Okay. Yeah. So, so if you've got a kid that, uh, that, you know, school holidays, all they want to do is game. And then when school goes back and they're hanging out with their friends, and uh, they stop the gaming as much, then yeah, like that's all that, good. That sounds that sounds more of a healthy kind of thing where they're probably just bored, or their friends are playing the games, or you know these games are really engaging. Like yeah, that's yeah. what they're designed to do. They want uh, yeah. they want engagement, and yeah, they do a pretty good job of it. Right? I just watched a documentary on Netflix. I don't know if you've seen. I think it's called the Social. It's not called the Social Experiment, but it's all about how. Facebook and Instagram and that are made to keep you looking at them. Yeah. And it's really interesting to watch. Um, I mean, I'm not, I look, I probably look at Facebook maybe three or four times a day um, and only for like five minutes. It's not like longer than that. Um, I do do some updates on Instagram and Twitter for the podcast and, um, but yeah, it was showing you how they even like you know the little ellipses, the little dots that when you've sent a message, they come up so that you know they're writing a message back to you. That mm -hmm. was put there to keep you watching, so that when the person's typing, you just can't go away because you know the message is coming. And yeah. I know myself when I've sent someone a text, and then I see that going, and then it stops, and there's nothing, and you just sit there for a couple of minutes thinking. No, it's going to come through. It's going to come through. And then they don't send you a text. Yeah. Did they delete it? Like, what were they? Were yeah. They say Why something? didn't they reply? What have I yeah. done? What have I done? Yeah. yeah. Well, were they about to say something mean and then decided to delete it? Or, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, <laughs> have I offended them? Like, or, like yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, uh, uh, they, they're, they're pretty smart, these, these companies. And... They certainly do a bunch of research into how they can maintain that engagement. Yeah. In order to then sell more ad space. Well, they were saying with Facebook, one of the other things, because they had a couple of the guys who invented these things and then they were on there saying, you know, I wish I hadn't actually done that because, yeah, I made money from it. But now people are just constantly looking at their phones. And one of them was with Facebook where mm -hmm. you pull down and it refreshes or you log out of Facebook and log back in and it refreshes every time. And they said, sometimes you might not have got anything from any of your friends, but we'll chuck something up there. So you've got something nice and new to look at. Something different to distract yeah. you from that anxiety or from that negative thought that you were having or from your worry about that presentation or that rumination about that mistake that you made. 
Yeah. And instead, look at this different thing that will distract you for five minutes, 10 minutes, half an hour. Yeah. And then you can just sit there and look at your text messages and think, why didn't they text back? They were texting me back and then they stopped. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. creates a whole new anxiety. Yep. Yep. It does. Yeah. Uh, which makes you want to look at it more. Yeah. And so yeah, you want to make sure that you've got confirmation that they're really not going to text you back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like you know, we've talked about gaming addiction today, but another one that uh, has been, is being talked about is uh, phone addiction. So yeah. just having the phone, like constantly checking a phone, you're out to dinner with, uh, you know, like a friend. And instead of like asking them about their day, you're like checking to see if anybody's posted on Instagram about their day. Or like instead of looking at your meal that's in front of you, you're seeing what other people are eating yeah, and comparing it on, on Insta. Yeah. Yeah. It was so. funny, a couple of weeks ago, my mum said to me, oh, and my mum's in her 80s, and she said, it's really nice how when you or your sister come round and visit, you're not sitting on your phones. You, you know, you always put the phone on the table, but you talk, and if there's a call, you take it, but, you know, you really interact with us. And I went, well, mm-hmm. of course I would. And then two minutes later, she's on her iPad, and I'm playing, um, like, words with friends with her, and she's sitting there for about 15 minutes trying to think of the next word she can put in, and I said... Mum, you're sitting there just looking. And she goes, yeah, well, I have to get the most points I can. And I go, but you just said how nice it is, and I don't do that, and now you're doing it. And she goes, oh, yeah, I better put it away, yeah. you know? There's a good, here's a good little one for you that I've heard about that uh, some people do. They, uh, they go to, like, lunch, like, you know, not in virus times, but they, uh, well, whenever they go to lunch, they, uh, everybody puts their phone on a stack so uh, in the middle of the table, so everybody's phone's on the stack. And if anybody grabs their phone... They have to pay the bill. Exactly right. Wow. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, well, I won't be going for dinner with you then. Because <laughs> I know that now you know all about gaming addiction, you would leave your phone there till the last minute, wouldn't you? Well, uh, I think the thing that would mean that I leave my game, my, my phone there is that, as I mentioned, uh, a big part of my motivation is that competition, right? Yeah. So if it's just me there, then I'm going to pick my phone up straight away. Like, yeah. But if I'm competing with somebody else to see who picks up their phone last, oh, that, that phone's going to get left there for a long period of time. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, look, uh, Isaac, it's been absolutely brilliant talking to you. I mean, I thought we'd have like a 15-minute chat and we've been here for an hour now. Mm. And it's been really, really good. So many interesting topics, so many different ideas and I didn't really realise there was so much to it. And you've explained it really well because, yeah, I look at it that, oh, that person's addicted to gaming. But as you say, it could be a social aspect. They're learning from it. So it's yeah. Yeah, it's it's not a um, cut and dry, is it, that it's a, an addiction. There's a lot of different things that go into it. Yeah, yeah, which is, you know, like the advice that I give parents is ask them about the game and, and what they find enjoyable about it and... Uh, you know, like interact with them a bit. Maybe you play the game too. Like find out about it and, you know, so you can have conversations about it. Uh, just as if you, you know, like you would go to a basketball game and watch your, your kids play basketball and tell them, well done, good job and, 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 you know, shooting that hoop and that kind of thing. You can do the same thing with a game. Like watch them play for a bit, you know, like find out what they enjoy about it. Give them positive reinforcement for interacting nicely with their mates online and, yeah. and, and you know, integrate that into your parenting rather than looking at it something as, uh, as different to what we did as kids and therefore we kind of tend to shy away from it. But yeah, engage in it, find out what's going on or, you know, like. Look, I mean, uh, during this pandemic, 
kids have been so lucky and I know that a lot of them are still bored but if you went back to when I grew up in the 70s where you had two or three TV channels, no video recorder, no CD player, you basically had radio and two TV channels, yeah. you know, and if you had to be stuck in your house, I mean, that would have been a nightmare, yeah. you know, but nowadays they've got Netflix, they've got laptops, they've got the, the internet, they've got everything they want and still kids are saying, I'm bored. Yeah. <laughs> It's just, uh, it's got to keep more and more stuff. Like, uh, <laughs> I, was, uh, I was talking to Katie about, like, they did, like, a sleepover, like, a, a camping thing in their backyard. Yeah. Uh, where they uh, they just went out in the backyard and set up a tent and, you know, the kids loved it. Yeah. Uh, and so it's like, you've got all of this, like, technology and stuff that we never had and you want to go camping and that's the thing that you find a child. I know, but I remember seeing a photo on Facebook of hers and she said the kids are all ready for school and it was, say, like, quarter to eight and they were all sitting around on their iPads and it said underneath someone had asked her, oh, well, my kids don't get their iPads till after school and she said, no, they get theirs once they've done all their jobs. And it was quarter to eight and they'd done all their jobs before they went to school. So they were yeah. allowed to use their iPads. Yeah. Uh, the I mean, the motivator. Amazing. The yeah. motivator. Yeah. Yeah, we could, uh, we could, we could spend a whole, uh, whole session just talking about motivation. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, but, uh, you know, games can be one of those things, particularly when they really like them. Beautiful. All right. Well, thank you, Isaac. It has been great. And um, thank you for coming on. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank it was you. really good talking to you. Bye-bye. So if you would like to contact me, you can contact me at lifechangesyou.com.au, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, enjoy all that life has to offer. Look after each other. Bye-bye.